weird. Um, and meaning there's no desk in this room. So it's a big room, but there's zero desk. So yeah. it doesn't look like a bed, you know? To be fair, it just looks like a, um, a, 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 like an account. That's because the, ca the, the camera angle is above uh, your shoulder to make sure, keep things safe for work. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks for doing it, by the way. I didn't ex I didn't realize you were on holiday. Otherwise, I would have No, I mean, literally, it was a last-minute thing anyway. And right. I felt bad last time because I was stuck in that engineering careers fair. Oh, yeah. You've let me down before, haven't you, Christine? So you don't want to like make I a have habit of that now, do you? And plus, I'm in sunny Tenerife. I'm not complaining. It's really warm here. I was going to say I could do a bit of sun. I'm in, I'm in not-so-sunny Eindhoven, which is what you would expect the Netherlands to look like in late november which is basically gray kind of nice but it's very great um anyway we're live everybody so welcome to bring food live on air bringing it to you i would say every friday but we have to bring it forward 24 hours today um so thank you for everyone who's joining we've got low numbers actually so i think a lot of people don't actually realize it is um uh, we're meant to go live today uh, but the reason just to explain why we're doing a thursday around friday is because i've actually got to deliver a talk tomorrow um, and essentially that means I'm not able to, to do, uh, uh, on the same time. So this is pre-scheduled for today. Um, if you, uh, for the folks who, uh, not able to come, obviously this is going to be available on replay straight away. Um, anyway, let's do some sound checks real quick. We're both like doing this from like random locations. So probably there's going to be a sound check issue. Um, just want to make sure everyone can hear me okay on Crowdcast. So if you can, let me know in the chat, whether the audio is fine. Um, we should also be broadcasting this on LinkedIn. Let me just quickly check if that's the case. Um, if you can hear or see me on LinkedIn, do let me know in the comment thread there also. Um, can you hear me okay? Um, I've got a terrible sort of thought. I may not actually be live there, but um, oh yeah, I am. That's cool. All right, we're live, we're live on LinkedIn as well. That's fine. Great stuff. Um, okay, let's get on with the show. Um, so um, firstly, before we get sort of anywhere, let's make sure we thank our sponsors as we always need to. Uh, without Brain Food Live sponsors, Brain Food Live doesn't happen. So um, I have to thank our sponsors this week. It is Pinpoint. Um, if you don't know Pinpoint, they are a very cool um, ATS actually coming out of the UK from sunny Jersey, would you believe? Can you nice. think of a recruitment tech business coming out of the Channel Islands? Um, but yes, they're kind of a, a new wave of companies that are interacting into the ATS space. Um, great to see this competition come in. And they were very highly rated the last time we did the uh, community survey on favorite ATSs, by the way. So I think they're an up and coming product. Um, if you are still wrestling with a bad ATS legacy stuff, or God forbid you're still on a spreadsheet or whatnot, you need to upgrade, make sure you go ahead and do that. Um, so uh, check out uh, Pinpoint. I think it's Pinpoint HQ, but I'll share the, uh, uh, the URL in the stream in a moment. Okay, uh, let's get on with the show. Uh, welcome to um, the hostess of the mostest. Thank you very much for joining us, Christine. How you been? Yeah, I've been good. Um, again, I was just saying I feel really bad for not joining last time. So I'm like, <laughs> I had to make sure I'm here today. But been good, really hectic. I think it's that final, you know, mad dash before the end of the year. You're trying to like fill in all the roles uh, and make sure um, you're, you're doing your budgeting for next year. What does your hiring plan look like for next year? So, yeah, it's just quite a manic time, I think, for, for everyone in the house. Yeah, it's it is super, super manic. Um, and I, I've got to be honest, I feel as busy as I've ever been, even though yeah. uh, it, like this, I wouldn't say output is any better or worse. It's like I think everyone's feeling the same. It's not like anybody's hitting huge numbers, but the workload yeah. per number you're getting is more. 
Um, so to hire one person takes longer, to do one sale takes longer, everything is taking more. So um, it is, uh, it's a huge amount of work. Anyway, folks, um, let's, uh, uh, have you had time to read the newsletter? We should review this real quick. Um, yeah. yeah, I managed to read it on the flight this morning, my 6 a.m. Okay. flight. <laughs> Okay, cool. Good, good commitment. I love to see this. Um, give us some chat on the newsletter. What was interesting, Christine? Uh, yeah, I guess first things first, I think linking back into just where we are this time of the year, trying to close a lot of roles. I think Cord's um, uh, um, article was quite interesting because they were talking about whole sourcing versus application metrics um, based on this year. So it's very clear. I think that what they found is the market's still very dominated by applications. Obviously, it depends on which industry you work in. Um, but I'm seeing that as well, funnily enough, you know, despite being in a very heavy technical organization for some roles like machine learning, historically speaking, or maybe it's also the companies I was at before, we'd be lucky to even get five applications. But we're getting like about over 80 plus applications for a really technical role. Um, so I find, yeah, it's still very much dominated by applications. Um, to be honest, I haven't really been sourcing as much anyway this year. But, you know, they rightly say, um, again, this is based on Cord or users of Cord. Um, the sourcing response rate has also declined or sourcing um, outbound rate has also declined as well. So if companies are still hiring at the moment, focusing on sourcing will definitely stand out from the crowd. Um, and as, conversely, on the other side, companies can be more selective in the process. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, the shifts over the last few years, candidate driven and now being back to companies driven. Yeah, it's crazy that you're getting 80 applications for ML type roles. Um, that is evidence that candidate activities higher by the way quarter producing some really interesting data on this they're basically comparing kind of um uh, who goes first type rates um so they've got a matching platform obviously uh usually for technical people but they're monitoring okay is it the candidate that applies or the recruiter that reaches out um and there's been basically a delta on this um and it looks like candidates are still doing more of the first first step uh, than recruiters which tells yeah. us that at least from the candidate perspective, they're kind of looking, hedging their bets maybe. Um, I don't think they're desperately looking, but they're kind of understanding that, you know what, marketing great, I need to I need to speak to companies, be more responsive and so on. So uh, an applicant rate is going up, uh, of course. And by the way, that's a big part of what the show is about. We're gonna talk about AI-enabled candidates. One of the things that we've seen recently has been this, uh, you know, this wonderful uh, kind of surge of candidate um, orientated recruitment tech, which is yeah. essentially, oh, uh, this will apply to a thousand jobs while you sleep. And it's like, okay, great. If we're getting 80 applications now, uh, wow, in 12 months time, that's going to be 800. Um, it's going to be really, really difficult to handle. Yeah. You know? I think it was um, a lazy apply. I was reading about it this week on um, WellFound. They're saying the software engineer used an AI tool called Lazy Apply and it blasted out like 5,000 job applications. Um, to be fair, he said he only landed about like 20 interviews and scored a contract gig in the end. Uh, but the fact that a tool like this exists, right, I think he's saying it suggests something's very broken in the process. You know what? It's complete. Uh, I would say recruiters deserve it because we actually have been using the same firehose approach to, to look at candidates. This is their version of mail merge. Um, where we think it's a win by sm smacking out a thousand emails and getting two people come back to us. And yeah, we make a placement. We walk away and think that's amazing. Now that's going back the other side. So candidates are doing mass apply. 
they don't mind about things that are blown because who cares? They're not interested. But the twenty that convert, you know what? That's all well and good. Um, so we're about to we're about to see this, folks, um, and and it's going to be interesting to see how we handle it. Anyway, give us a couple more before we get into this uh, uh, this main chat. Yeah, I guess um, that Qualtrics EX Trends one was an interesting read as well because I suppose that's something I'm heavily like thinking about quite a lot. Um, I think some of the key ones you already pointed out, like frontline employees feel that they're the most unhappy because they're poorly supported and least trusting. But it links quite nicely and interesting to um, they were ranking how people were still feeling. And I think they said psychological safety was still ranked really low amongst organizations. And that's interesting because if you're thinking about, you know, we're now thinking about the post hybrid hybrid world. A lot of companies are asking people to come back to the office, you know, combined with, you know, if you've got teams that are purely hybrid, um, there's a lot of psychological safety elements. People feel like they're not getting enough face time in the office. So how can they communicate and collaborate better with their teams? Right. Um, so that's an interesting one. And another point I think they found they really highlighted was an onboarding experience as well in the post COVID world. Um, and one key takeaway I had for me for the, in the people team is how do you communicate your value and business outcomes by sharing you know, ROI uh, that shows how EX is linked to the outcomes of the business. And I think that's a really, really crucial one for, for people teams now and, and thinking about next year. Um, people want growth and development, people want balance, right? So people want a bit of everything. So how can you factor that and, and tell that story in a way that would you know, um, align with the leadership? So I think that was a really interesting one for me. It's a big report um, and it's definitely worth a read. I think Qualtrics to come out with it once every year and it is one of those annuals that you have to keep an eye on. Um, employee experience, what do they care about? Um, and, and how can you make people feel that they want to um, they want to be there um, in your business. I think very, very challenging, um, but we've got to do what we can to make it work. Um, okay, cool. Give us one more, uh, Christine, before we get into the meat of this. Segways quite nicely to, I guess, the topic today. And of course, it's uh, as an FT alumni, I have to quote an FT article, <laughs> but it's the one from Jer John, Mur uh, John Mur Murdoch um, about the impact on GAI, um, on generative AI and white collar work. So I think the key takeaway they were talking about was um, like the gig worker model. So you know, if you've got like graphic designers on, let's say Upwork, who are designing kind of one very specific task, like, you know, designing um, a logo or something, versus um, freelancers who are a bit more multifaceted, they find that um, a lot of that is obviously being taken away from, from AI, you got like GAI rather, you've got Midjourney, which are producing amazing artwork. Um, and I think they feel like it's devaluing a lot of the work that they do. You know, it's not easy um, to you know, be a really good graphic designer. So, yeah, it's interesting as well how they, he ends it with, look at it as an extension of ourselves and still check the output. So, you know, a lot of talks that they go to, they refer it as a junior research assistant. Um, it's still uh, very kind of junior. It is still very elementary of where it is. So you, you got to look at it as more of a, a frenemy perspective, which is what he's saying. And I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, I think we now have the, the kind of the evidence is in, so to speak, in terms of what the impact of generative AI is. It's, it's pretty obvious that it is going to eat into um, a lot of the, the the media production work and the data cleansing work and the copywriting work and all that type of stuff. Um, and in fact, they were the, the sort of tasks that um, were typically moved into very early tasks that moved into the gig economy. So the upworks of this world, the fibers, uh, you know, very much highly populated with people yeah. doing that type of work. And actually really, really good. I've used those services. They've been fantastic. Um, but it turns out that since uh, OpenAI launched ChatGBT, there's just been a 
a, a drop in overall earnings for the yeah. people who do that kind of work. And the people that are still doing it are actually earning less per hour than they did before. Um, so we can see where that's going. It's basically going to completely eat up that industry. Um, and it, it, it kind of augurs, you know, what is the future for anybody who's processing information? Um, because if you're ingesting information, manipulating it and pushing it out to something else and you're selling that output, um, guess what? That's in line for the same type of disintermediation that generative AI is doing for us. The fact that we can go fast with AI is great, but that speed is also gonna ultimately cannibalize what we're doing. So very, very portentous. Great article, well worth a read. Okay, let's talk about this topic, uh, Christine. Um, AI enabled candidates, have you encountered anybody applying for your jobs that you assumed or you suspect um, was uh, AI augmented in some way, um, and you know what's your what's your feeling as to what this looks like in future for job applications, advertising for jobs, and so on. Yeah, hard to tell. I think in my world, just again because it's so niche. Um, but I always draw upon Annie Jackson, who I believe has been on the show before. Uh, she posted something on LinkedIn a while back. I think it went viral. Um, so I think one of her pre-screening questions was, you know, why do you want to work at WCLIO as a company she's at? And I think the response was, well, as a generative AI bot, I don't feel like I could um, I'd be a right fit for this position. But um, so I think she posted like, come on, if you're going to use it, at least like read it and, and, and get rid of the, the, the evidence. Um, but I think, you know, it's really hard to tell. And, and from my perspective, when it comes to things like, you know, submitting your CV, it's pretty standardized, right? Like a lot of candidates run through, you know, the CVs with a lot of different um, tools. But I think when it comes to like cover letters or you have pre-screening questions, I think that's definitely ripe for a lot of candidates um, using, using generative AI for that. Um, so we don't do that at the moment, but... I could see, and I, I'm speaking to a few of my peers, that that is clearly one of the biggest use cases as well at that point. Yeah, I, I think because it is, because so much of our recruitment procedures are based on receiving information, documentation. Yeah. Um, it's obvious that it's going to be used in this way. And we're going to bring on people like Robert Newry and, and, and the stuff I've done some great research on this. Mm. Um, and But I wanted to get the gauge from the audience as well. Like, have you encountered... Um, uh, applications to your jobs that you suspect are AI enabled or AI generated? Uh, mm. Let me know in the comments. Um, and if so, how do you know? Um, there's certain things that, I mean, the, the Annie uh, sort of example is a really good one because basically the guy had copied and pasted the uh, kind of chat GBT disclaimer um, mm. into the, directly into the, uh, the response without yeah. actually... Uh, reading through so that's actually a common mistake so that's a clear yeah, giveaway um, but like at least like sense check it before you submit it not that hard no but I, I it is but ultimately you remember this guy or this person is going at speed now so yeah. it's like you know they're all that so there's so in other words the emotional commitment per job application is going to go lower yeah. um because candidates are thinking i need i, I can I need to apply not to 50 roles this week yeah. i need to apply to 5000 this week i need to maximize my chances yeah. so every their, their attention to detail per um application is going to go down um yeah. and some of these tools lazy apply uh, sort of apply.ai or whatever it is yeah. they're, they're designed basically to s sort of harvest the internet for jo jobs that kind of match to your job description so it's a reverse of what we would normally yeah. do uh, but then it would 
customize a response and email out to you, um, uh, email out the response. So from a receiver point of view, it's going to be very difficult for you to yeah, figure out yeah. who or what is uh, an AI uh, sort of enabled candidate. And yeah. indeed, whether this is a good or bad thing. Um, so yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, I think from some of the feedback on, in the crowd, it looks like people are encountering it, um, but they're not quite sure why there's like a visceral interest, visceral kind of feeling there is. Um, mm. But I'm going to bring oh. on Becky. Um, Becky has mentioned that um, on the off chance, Becky might be speaking crap. I don't know. Um, but she did. I think she mentioned that um, she was uh, sort of receiving quite a lot of high volume AI enabled applications. Now, I think uh, when Becky comes on, she'll be able to tell you all about it. But um, she does early careers at UI, so obviously a major brand yes. um, yeah. and used to absorbing lots of applications anyway. Mm. Um, and it seems that the people who are using applications, sort of AI generated or AI supported applications more than anything, um, are in fact those uh, you know younger generations, basically. Yeah um because they're more fluid with it and again we'll bring robert on in a second um but uh but he the research that he's conducted um was pretty much um like it wasn't considered a bad thing um for job candidates to do so the, there's, a, there's a gap there and you know again i don't want to sort of say generational stereotypes um are fixed um but the truth of the matter is recruiters are maybe two three five years ten years beyond the youngest people coming into the the um the job market um and those younger people have a very different perspective as to what generative ai is and i can absolutely see like why would you not use it um because you know it's going to help you it's good it'll definitely support your um your ability to move forward um yeah but we just Perspective, high volume role. Like, how would you, if they all look so similar, how do you then actually like minimize? How do you then do the screening process from a thousand to twenty? Like, they all look well, like, although it gets well, here. Well, this is the question. I mean, everything's going to look perfect. Um, yeah. So everything, I mean, a classic example here would be, let's say, um, we one of the last remaining reasons why we would use a cover letter, application form, or a CV as a, uh, a sort of tool to assess candidates is to say we want to know about their written communication skills yeah. um, okay well you can throw that out the window because this person can type whatever into um, chat gbt and say act like an expert in english literature or, yeah. or something to that degree and it would crank out some you know perfect english or whatever language is your is your preference um, so really, really difficult. Okay, I've invited Becky on, but I don't think Becky is here. Um, Becky, if you if you are, let, let us know. Um, but I'm gonna uninvite you now, and then we'll see whether we can bring on uh, some of our interlocutors. We've had some debate on this, so what we're gonna try and do is bring on some technologists um, yeah. who are building applications that you know uh, are trying to handle this assessment challenge like we know this is happening number one so let's uh leave that to bed um the question is what do we do about it is it okay that we just let it slide or does it actually like break our assessment processes um do you know what i mean like personally i, I would be terrified posting an advert now yeah. um because i, I don't want to handle a thousand applications and then you know be accused of being ha having terrible candidate experience because yeah. I'm not responding to everyone personally, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and and yeah. I think 
yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because even this week I'm just thinking about it with someone who had a perfect CV, like even interview, first stage interview was incredible. He came on site yesterday and he wasn't what he like set out to be. So even he met like with our founders and whatnot, and it just completely. I mean, I don't know whether it was just nerves or whatnot, but it was completely different from what we saw. So was it that in the virtual interview he had notes in front of him and he just did everything like all set out? Yep. You know, but whereas the on site, he like after probing a few like difficult questions, he just couldn't get there. It wasn't anything like couldn't. what we saw online. So, yeah, how many of those are we going to see? All right, Becky says she's here, but she's on her mobile. So, I reckon what she should be driving a Porsche or something. Um, <laughs> and yeah. th there'll be there'll be some sort of catastrophe. But let's bring Becky on because she's always good TV. Um, and we'll see how she gets on. Um, Okay. Um, and by the way, Antonia and Robert and Bass uh, will bring you on momentarily as a three um, once we've had this quick chat with Becky. And uh, if Bill Fisher's here as well, I'd love to bring you on as well, Bill, if, if you're about, um, because I'd love to get your input. Um, because different techniques about how to manage this is actually quite interesting. Like, do you try and screen people out? Uh, is there a detection sort of mechanism? Um, I, I see Warren is here as well, Warren Suconnect. They've actually got a tool to help you do that, to try and assess, okay, we reckon this person is at risk because of these types of behaviors I interview, like eye tracking is going off, or there's a, there's a, you know, a persistent delay, or there's, a, there's an earpiece uh, you know, feeding answers in, all kinds of crazy stuff like this. Uh, Bill is here. Okay, we'll bring out all the tech, techie guys on first, but let's wait for Becky to park her Porsche um and uh, and see whether she can get on <laughs> I, I don't think it's happening um okay um no it's, it's very interesting okay uh, becky don't worry about it i think it's we're struggling um so we're going to uninvite let me know if you can come on at some point um and we'll uh, we'll, we'll ping you back but let's bring on um Let's bring on. Uh, I, I need to search. Bear with me, guys. Uh, there's a there's a there's a manual action here. It's no no voice command. Um, so I've got to go with Robert first. Let's go with him. Um, let's put Antonio on. I'm surprised this is not automated yet. Uh, I think it's right. I think you can get walk-ons on here, but it's quite high risk. Um, and obviously, I don't want to just do walk-ons because, um, you know, anybody can do that. Um, right, there's Robert. Good to see you, Robert. Um, um, hi, Kristen. Hello. Can you quickly introduce yourself, Robert? Who are you? What it is you do? Yes, yeah, sure. Robert Neary, CEO of Arctic Shores. We do task-based task -based assessment. So no questions asked. I'm very much ready for the chat GPT world, but my... Uh, big um, goal is all around how you have a potential and uncover strengths and qualities in ways where they don't usually uh, get a chance to express them. Fantastic. And Robert, before just to, before we introduce Antonia and Bass, uh, can you quickly just give an overview of some of the research that you've conducted recently on candidate usage of, of AI? Like, What are the, the, the key headlines there? Yeah, a couple of quick headlines on this. One is um, they don't consider it cheating. And we've got to be really clear about this. It's like a calculator is my analogy in that the world of education has already worked out that using a calculator and, and also using generative AI is a support tool, uh, not a cheating tool. So we've got to get that word cheating, 
um, bad applications if AI is being used out of our, our, our minds on this. The other second quick fact uh, on this is that people who uh, are neurodiverse use generative AI to, to help them um, get to a level playing field in the recruitment process. So one of the studies we found was 23% um, of neurodiverse uh, candidates are using uh, ChatGPT to support their application form as opposed to 17% of students uh, generally. And so, so it's seen that group of people as a really helpful way to, to, to give themselves a level playing field on the recruitment process. So again, it's another reason why if you come to it and say it's cheating, uh, you're really sending a poor message to those people where they say it's, it's a, a tool to support them. So there's a couple of, I think, key facts yeah. that we have to wrestle with. Uh and I think the um, the the uh, event is sort of the the report has actually been shared in the chat there as well. So do make, avail yourself of that. It's very very good. Um, okay, we have Antonio here as well. Antonio, great to see you. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Hi. So I'm a, a CEO and founder of Lumini, which is a behavioural assessments like next gen behavioural assessments. So I've got a background of working in schools, teaching, and working for a big examination body. Um, so it's an assessment specialist and, you know, a, a specification writing specialist. So I kind of bring that quite a different angle to this argument because I've worked in assessment pretty much my whole adult working life. Fantastic stuff. Great to see you on the show there, Antonia. And let's just finish off the intros here. Bas, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Um, I'm Bas and I'm probably one of the few independent <laughs> assessment uh, uh, advisors in the world where... There's very few uh, market for it, but I help companies decide what assessment really fits with what you're measuring for and how to write a decent RFP where, and, and check them if there are actually some scientific validation to the vendors uh, that they're trying to buy. Fantastic stuff. And we have Bill Fishers here as a late joiner. So Bill, wonderful to see you. Uh, can you introduce yourself, sir? Who are you? What did you do? I'm sure. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Excellent. So uh, I'm Bill. Uh, I'm in London. I, I work at uh, Vlog. I'm the uh, CTO at Vlog. Uh, and we've been uh, building kind of a full stack of generative AI powered top of the funnel talent acquisition tools. So we should probably wordsmith that a little bit. Uh, but basically reinventing all the point solutions that sit at the top of the funnel, but using a large language model as the engine that powers it. And uh, yeah. Uh, we no, no, and I've seen you kind of recently post a few things uh, related to this idea of being able to detect AI generated applications and what have you, which we know is like one of the techniques that employers might want to deploy um, in uh, front of this. So let's start with baseline. Um, I, I, we want to sort of move the conversation to this point. So AI enable candidates, I think if it isn't already a thing, it will become a thing. Uh, because it's too obvious to use. It's consumer sort of technology, uh, consumer grade technology, sort of say. Um, and there's now actually a, like an ecosystem of these point solutions, which seem to be, you know, helping uh, job seekers apply at scale. Um, and so uh, my conjecture is that the existing uh, recruitment pipelines that we've designed are not able to handle this upcoming surge of candidates um because we've designed them in the pre-ai uh, world 
Um, and we've already started to see, I would say, irrational um, uh, requirements in, it reinserted back into job ads in an attempt to suppress applicant flow. So a good example of this would be, for instance, the introduction of the reintroduction of language requirements for a recruiter, for instance, in, in Berlin. Um, Berlin, for the last 10 years, has basically uh, been very aggressive in saying, look, we want to not uh, sort of have a German as a requirement. Uh, English language is going to be the, the working language in most of these tech companies that we're recruiting for. English is going to be a language for all these engineers and product people are hiring for. English is the only thing we need. And then suddenly we're seeing, okay, uh, uh, a German language native needed um, in this context. And in my opinion, that's, an, that's a suppressing technique. It's trying to convert 500 applications to 50. Um, and I can understand it from the employer's point of view to do that. Also, things like sector specificity starts to come back in. You know what? We love your, your profile. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? You have to have experience in this domain. Whereas, you know, pre, do you really? Um, I thought we were hiring for potential here. So we've got some really re regressive and retrograde techniques that are understandable because of applicant flow is going through the roof and it's going to be accelerated even further. What do we do about it, folks? Um, Antonia, let's go to you. Is this a problem? How do we handle this? Uh, do, <laughs> recruit, do we need to hire more recruiters? <laughs> like, what's the plan? I don't know. I thought about this because I'm trying to find this simple analogy in this massive kind of hysteria that seems to be going on. It's understandable. Of course, you don't want a billion applications coming through into your inbox. How do you process them? But I think you have to kind of see it through the lens of any form of, you know, innovation. You know, when the horse and cart was, re was replaced by the car, you know, we had a crisis in terms of how people were traveling. And I think that we need to start seeing it through that lens. We need to start looking at the workplace assessments or, I mean, I can only talk about workplace assessments because actually it's a broader topic. So in my context, I'll bring it into the workplace assessment, um, you know, framework. But workplace assessments, as we know them, have come from World War One psychometric testing, which was a process of quickly processing troops and deploying them. This is a one-off thing to take people to war. And then you had the kind of 1950s Mercer-style advertising that took that into the workplace. So the workplace, you know, as the army, the command and rule. Now, that landscape has changed massively already. So it's already out of date. What generative AI is doing is like it's the car. It's like at the moment we don't have the roads. The car is here. Everyone's driving around like a crazy person. And that's, you know, that's what's going to happen. So the, the real argument is about how we build the roads. But in the first instance is looking at the landscape of why there's so much chaos happening. And, you know, I think that it's interesting because Robert has been saying this in his research as well. You know, behavioral assessments, um, non-language based assessments, as, as Robert's putting them out there, will gain an advantage in this marketplace. But that's one thing. But it's not for me about that right now. It's looking at how we're building the roads. But to do that, you have to understand the existing landscape of what assessment is now. And this idea that you would assess somebody on a one-off assessment, constellation-based assessment, that's essentially valuable. We stand on the shoulders of that. I don't think you give up on anything that's in existence, but we have to be extremely critical about what these assessments are. Um, when it comes to the behavior, you gain a small advantage in them, but essentially this idea that you would just make one assessment and that generative AI will come in and uh, someone would gain an advantage from that. That is simplistic thinking around assessment right now. So from my point of view, it's trying to create this landscape of re-evaluation rather than reactive thinking about it. 
All right, so I think I get what you're saying, Antonio. So, so to, just to, so I understand it correctly, let me know if this is my my interpretation of your position is incorrect. Um, you're saying, okay, this is actually just the normal circumstance of technological innovation changing and causing sort of uh, a, a kerfuffle, so to speak, um, because all systems are not reacting to, to 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 new innovation. But it's an opportunity for us to actually re review how we assess people, um, particularly. Uh, with a critical focus on this one-shot um, uh, deterministic view of how assessments work, which I think we can all be very sympathetic to, can't we, folks? Like, if you have a bad day, um, you know, um, or you, you've had jet lag like Christine or whatever it is, um, you know, you're not going to necessarily perform at your optimal peak. So how can any assessment, irrespective of what it is, um, accurately capture? Excuse me. Accurately capture how you're gonna how you're gonna perform. Surely it has to be multiple assessments and perhaps even a prolonged assessment over time, uh, which is of course you know how we typically like to recruit people we've worked with before because we can say you know what that is prolonged assessment. Um, okay, very very interesting. Um, that leaves us still with a practical problem. But Bas, I think you want to say something here. Um, what's your view on the, uh, the 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 current circumstance and you know, is this an opportunity for us to rethink assessment altogether, uh, leaving aside for the moment the immediate practical problem of overwhelming applicant flow? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I'm not sure if the increasing applicant flow comes from AI or from the labor market. Mm -hmm. And the, the examples you just gave about uh, in Germany now, German becoming a, a requirement again, could that be because uh, it was begrudgingly that we're going to hire only English speakers because actually, and especially if you know the Germans, like, and basically I've been their neighboring country for my entire life. They do really I need to hover over the mute button English. here, Bas? Do I, do I need to, like... <laughs> no, but so um, uh, um, if you look at the, the uh, assessment process, it's been broken for quite some time. I mean, if you look at all the numbers, 50% of all the hires are mishires. It's, mm -hmm. it's been ridiculous for ages. Um, I actually think that one of the biggest issues we're going to be having in the next five or 10 years is not as much assessing people on the traits that we want to assess them for, but understanding what traits are actually important to do a certain role within a certain company. Because most assessments, which Antonia and Robert have been uh, developing as well, and they've been doing an amazing job, but have been based very often on the assumption that the hiring manager knows the skills which are required for the job. Mm. Most are theoretical exercises. And the fun thing is, and, and I, I've actually worked on uh, with a project on Robert, uh, unfortunately, my, my internship, inter, you know, I was an interim recruiter there, ended before we could finish it perfectly. But we actually used his tool to test the current population, have them in three buckets, amazing, acceptable, we should not have done this. And then actually we're looking at how much of a certain trade is amazing to do be successful at this job now those kinds of researchers we've not been doing enough and i actually think that uh, uh, in order to to check this um we need to first figure out what skills are actually needed for candidates and what tools can we use and uh, as we said uh, uh, in previous podcasts as well whom uh, if chat gpt can come through your assessment uh, uh, tool, there are two things possible. One, your assessment sucks. 
Two, ChatGPT can do the job and you shouldn't be hiring a human for it. Hmm. That, that is a very uh, sort of important point. And actually, it's the, one of the, the, the final points, I think, in this entire argument because of the people that are, let's say, uh, laissez-faire with AI-enabled candidates, uh, ultimately because if they care only about outputs, for instance, say, hey, listen, we're results-driven, right? Um, we don't really care about you know, your, your behavior. We really just care about uh, sort of results. Okay, great. Uh, if that's the case, and actually AI-enabled candidates produce the best results, then what is the human being other than just a vehicle for, for, the, for the AI? Um, it's just a, a dumb homunculus that's manipulating a tool which I really prefer to use. So ultimately, we get rid of the human, just use the AI. That's the end game of laissez-faire attitude to AI-enabled candidates. Um, anyway, let's go to you, Bill. You've been trying to detect this. Is this like just stupid, man? Like you're a smart guy. Like why are you trying to create something that is trying to detect candidates? Like, <laughs> firstly, the futility of it. Like, is there a point? And secondly, like, what do you actually see? Do you actually see recruiters legitimately using detection techniques in software in order to? Uh, to, 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 to identify better the, the candidates they, that they want? Um, yes, yes, the answer is yes. So, the, um, so um, uh, I think I was invited because I, I did a post about, there was a fictitious uh, CV from uh, Angelina Lee. So um, somebody just wanted to see if they could just throw in all of the key buzzwords. So you know, they worked at uh, Microsoft, they worked at LinkedIn, they worked at Instagram, they worked, you know, they did skills with Hadoop and and, uh, uh, and uh, React and, and GraphQL. Um, and so they, they, they made up this CV, it looks very professional, um, almost everything checks out, but they, but they filled it with lots of like amusing asides, like they, they gave, uh, uh, they gave a, a venereal disease to all the, all the interns. They put the entire database for the company on the blockchain, yeah, you know, like they, they increased efficiencies. Anyway, so so um, so one, this was kind of amusing. It got spread on Reddit. It it had quite a bit of buzz around it. But one of the things I thought of is that this CV uh, went through all the commercial parsers. You know, mm -hmm. it checked out. Uh, it went through human you know review because like everyone just sort of scanned the review because you have to really get into the weeds before you start seeing. Um, and so so it it just. So you just think about the economics of this. So if, if this went to a thousand technology companies, it likely would have, you know, they, each company would have paid for a parse. Yeah, they would have, they would have paid to, yeah, they would have paid somebody to review it. They would have paid somebody to schedule an interview. They might, they may have paid for an assessment. Um, and so you have that for this one, just kind of a you know, amusing CV. Uh, but when you're in an environment where people can just kick out a thousand perfect CVs for a thousand companies. You think about what happens to the economics of cost, you know, CPA, you know, cost per acquisition, uh, and so that's where we, uh, so that's where we really think at the top of the funnel now you need to have more automation, uh, mm -hmm. and so what we've done is we we built kind of a tools that will look through a CV and we'll just go this person seems to have more skills you know, than they should for somebody with their experience, uh, this person seems to have more buzzwords on their CV you know, like buzzwords per word. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that that is reasonable. Uh, in the case of Angelina Lee, we we threw it into our system and we asked, "Does this seem genuine?" And it said, "Probably not," because she said she was mining Ethereum on company servers. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like it, it, she said she gave, um, or he or she. So I shouldn't assume the gender of a fake CV, but uh, but uh, uh, she said like a. Uh, 
you know, again, like venereal disease to the intern. I mean, just all these things that just didn't seem plausible in a real CV. And a large language model can do that because a large language model has hundreds of millions of CVs to look at. And it can kind of look at this and see what the, you know, what is the gap analysis? Like, what are some of the anomalies uh, that are here that just don't seem to run typical to both CVs? Uh, and so we can so we can kind of do that sort of assessment. So it makes us think there's an opportunity kind of for a cost for qualified lead, um, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, where you use a use a large language model to kind of do this basic assessment you know, on the CV. Uh, the way we've set it up is it's kind of an MFA thing. I saw somebody in the comments kind of mentioned maybe you need multifactorial. Uh, authentication for it, or uh, so we have a system where if it hits a certain threshold. Um, in our, if our, we use multiple large language model agents to kind of interrogate a CV. If it hits a certain threshold, it'll then send an email or a text to the candidate to get additional information. Uh, so that's kind of a point of validation. Uh, and, and then we set up with a virtual um, interview. So there's a so there's a video interview, and again, it's just another layer uh, oh. part of that authentication before a company starts to invest in. Uh, their internal recruiter time or, or pay for an assessment. Yeah, really interesting. So we're looking at deploying AI against potential AI candidates. And I think that's the inevitable, uh, one of the inevitable steps that we'll take um, because we can't sit there and, and just basically have the inbox newt. I mean, that's simply, also you just mentioned cost per acquisition. I mean, Christ, with um, Indeed's new sort of uh, pricing structure and all those types of things going on, AI-enabled candidates are just literally going to burn budget from for so many companies um, because you're going to get all of these false positives come to come in. By the way, they're not necessarily false positives. That it's a legitimate application from a candidate. Um, however, it's just more than can be expected per per applicant. Like physically speaking, how many jobs could you apply for if you were just a 100% human being, no AI augmentation? You could probably do 100 if you were totally, totally up for it. But if you use augmentation, potentially you take that up to 10,000, then that's really going to make advertising untenable. Um, the companies are simply going to stop advertising. Um, okay, um, we've got Becky. She's definitely going to come in at some point. They are using AI detection. We're going to bring you in, Becky, in a moment. Uh, okay, uh, Robert, you need to say something. Yeah, I just I think that just to sort of round it off here, the interesting thing about what, what Bill's saying there is that the, the whole idea about trying to, and we've had this discussion uh, hung about, deter and detect, I'm missing the point that you know, if we're going to use AI to detect AI, actually that's, that's not what we're, certainly not what, what Arctic Shores is articulating around this, is we've got an opportunity to redesign the process. And you know, differently from what Antonio was saying earlier about my position on this, actually it's not simplistic at all. I think we've got a huge opportunity to say, actually, let's redesign the process. We've been stuck in the way that we've done traditional recruitment for so long now. We've got a great opportunity to redesign it. One of the first things for me is the job description, because I think you know, there's a few things in the comments around that. Job description is probably one of the worst uh, elements uh, that we have in the recruitment process. But that is the starting point. That's the measure of which we're then saying, what are we going to screen against? What are we going to interview against? What are we then going to hire against? So if that's the starting point, let's get the job description sorted out. And AI actually probably can, can help a bit uh, in, in improving uh, the job description, as long as 
it's 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 being used and prompted in the right way and using things like inclusive language because equally we, we could move things backwards if we're not careful about it but the idea of of you know the way we have to solve the introduction of gen ai is to use ai to kind of deter and detect ai for me completely misses uh, the opportunity that we have in front of us yeah Bas, go ahead i fully agree with robert on this and the thing which bill is talking about is actually looking at resumes on on things which don't matter first of all i'm still looking for the very first scientific paper ever found any correlation between a resume and future uh, performance because there is none in the world. CVs are have zero predictive uh, reliability they found because it just tells you who you are and what you've done, but not how well you've done it. And let's be very honest, we know a shitload of people with an amazing recruiting resume who have never been a good recruiter. Um, but and and so you have to redesign the entire process and instead of deterring it. Um, rather go for the quality. I was recently hired by a, a, a major Dutch assessment agency. They're like, well, uh, we now see so many correct answers to our motivational questions. Why do you want this job? We're sure that our candidates, all graduates, are using uh, 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 ChatGPT. Um, and now we can't select them anymore. And I'm like, well, maybe your motivation to do the job wasn't the great way to start a selection anyway maybe you should have been looking at potential to do the job you know i think for, for me this is really interesting because for me so many of these arguments are satellites around the bigger question which is asking the question about data and all of this is about validation or cheating or all of this terminology about what it, what is it that we're looking at here and as an assessment specialist, I come from a background where the validation of that assessment methodology is critical. It's not, it's not something to be taken lightly. It's nuanced. It's complex. It takes experts to write assessments. So essentially, if we could kind of just say that if ChatGPT or generative AI is cheating assessments, then they're not good enough. And then there's a multitude of arguments around that anyway. And then there's a multitude of arguments around what you do with all the people cheating, because essentially, if I'm only going to be assessed once, I'm going to use everything at my disposal to gain advantage. And that's obvious. So of course, we need to redesign processes. But can we bring it back to this data argument? Because no one even asked the question around generative AI, what data is it running on? This whole idea of validation seems to have got lost in this, this sort of satellite argument around, let's change this, let's do that. This is working, there's volume. And actually, what we need to do is look robustly at what assessment is and proper assessment methodologies work, number one. Uh, secondly, the people who are taking workplace assessments have been brought up in schools where they're allowed to use learning aids. It's, they do coursework. I don't know for sure in the States. I'm not as familiar with the education system in the States. But it, in particular, Gen Z, they use everything at their disposal and it's not considered to be problematic. So then it's a rethinking around what would be the core argument in this. And for me, it's data. So assessment is a way of getting data. And then the question is, how, you, how do you use that data? And, it, and that applies to analytics as well. So we're getting great traction with analytics companies because it's like, what data are you using? And when you really look at it, it's scraped data or it's data built from kind of substandard assessments and so forth. So I'm not going to continue about that, but it's I kind of just want to put that into this argument. So we start to look at maybe 
how we start to draw out the key topics that we need to be discussing. How are we building these roads for these cars? Because just squabbling about what's happening and how everyone's driving at the moment doesn't seem to be to be creating the, the real questions that we need to be looking at. No, I disagree with that, Antonio. We're not squabbling over the technique. We are talking about building the car, uh, the road. Um, the, the question is, like, we're already at this conversation. Um, like, how do we redesign a process um, that does what we think we want to do, which is to hire the right people for our companies, right? So let's uh, let's agree on some basic parameters on this. We want to, uh, we assume that most companies want to hire uh, uh, certain types of people for their organization. They may have limited understanding as to you know, what that fit is, but they, they, they don't think that. They think they know. Um, so that's what we, we, we've got to go with. Um, and now we've got a system. They threw up a system. So with they, we, that's all of us, uh, have th thrown up systems um, which we were pseudo happy with, quasi happy with, because we went with it and we hired and built businesses that way. But now suddenly we're getting a surge of candidates, um, either uh, through higher volume, which I anticipate is going to be the case. Um, I agree with Bass. Listen, I've got no evidence on it, but I, I'm prepared to, to go with the, the logic on this. Um, quite simply, these tools are, are very cheap, very free, and you would use it if you were a job seeker. Uh, so it's going to be used. Um, in which case, um, what does our recruitment or assessment process look like? Do we, for instance, stop advertising? I think we, we do um, because we can't handle it. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, shaking heads? Uh, Bas, you shaking your heads? Well, um, let me give you a simple case study from the Philippines when COVID broke. Um, and they had there was only one job open at some point for contact centers. And those guys got 250,000 applications on a single contact center and they had seven positions open. But because they already had an amazing pre-assessment tool, which has been taken over and now sucks balls, but that's a different story. But they, and they were just like, um, they could simply look at the 50, 99.9% .9 match with their profile, which they already screened before. And all the rest actually got a really nice personalized rejection and why they didn't fit because they weren't looking at cvs one of the things because it was for an american uh, uh, it was in the philippine contact center for an american company they checked how <coughs> good is your english and how great is your accent and they had ai assessing the voice uh, 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 in there so um, too many candidates aren't a problem as long as you fix the problem or fix the selection process being able to select on relevant things before a human gets involved. Yeah, but I, right. I so gen... Go ahead. Oh, Go sorry. Ahead, I, look, okay, to be a bit more candid, I think that essentially all these processes are disparate and recruitment is separate to retention, separate to candidate experience, although it's a connected process, separate to employer branding. These processes need to be joined up. And in simple terms, a robust assessment methodology joins them up. It's an assessment for learning process. It's an understanding of where someone comes into an organization, where you want them to be, where you want them to be in five years and so forth. And this is this is normal to people who've worked in assessment. So, so essentially what I'm trying to say is we need to be looking at, if we're building these roads, we need to be looking at robust assessment processes that join these processes up. It's And my point is, the satellite conversations that we're looking just, and of course in this context, we're looking at recruitment, but the key thing, and Becky is, is engaged with this as well, it's about the interoperability of all of these processes, recruitment as part of retention or retention as part of recruitment and assessment as part of that process. 
I agree. Yeah, and, and by the way, we need to we need to bring Be Becky in, by the way, folks, because <laughs> she's actually she's she's around. Um, but uh, before we, there's two things I want to do before we move to Becky. Uh, firstly, we well, this is an amazing conversation, so thank you everyone for for contributing to it. Um, if you've enjoyed this conversation, folks, um, I'm sure you have. We probably need to do a round two on this for sure. Um, uh, let's make sure we continue the conversation anyway. So we always do this in the middle of every show. Um, we want to make sure that everyone leaves with a very strong network of people that care about this topic um so now is the moment just take a quick break grab your linkedin url stick it in the chat stream and crowdcast if you're on sort of linkedin or wherever you're at uh stick your linkedin url in the comment thread there and then just connect with everyone who's done the same um uh, worst the best thing you can sort of uh, happen at the end of this is you walk away 20 30 40 people uh that uh, that care about this topic including our amazing panelists so make sure you go ahead and do that all right becky Stay patient. We're going to go do a quick round robin. There's two questions I want everyone to answer. Um, I want you to answer, number one, uh, what do you think will happen um, in the next 12 months when it comes to assessment, okay? Um, and not what you want, but what you think will happen. Um, and then I want you to come back with what you want to have happen. Um, and those two things may be the same, in which case you, you, you probably rest easy and you don't, don't have the same anxiety as everyone else, but they may be different. So everyone have a think about that. Um, Okay, uh, Christine, you're going to be answering this question as well. So you have to pay attention, please. Um, no, that's uh, okay. Robert, let's go with you first as I'm looking at it clockwise. What is going to happen um, with regards to assessment, particularly when it comes to handling AI-enabled candidates? And what do you think should happen? Well, I, th I think that the first thing is that um, people need to go and um, be much more transparent on their websites about how they want people to use Gen AI. I mean, I did a bit of research last week to go and find out how many companies actually put on their career websites whether uh, they think that using Gen AI uh, is acceptable as part of the application process or not. And none of them give any guidance as to what they think is good use or bad use. So one of the things that I expect and would like to see more of next year is people being much more transparent about how they're expecting this technology to be used as part of the application process. And then the second piece is that I, I do think there are a lot of companies now that are, you talk about skills first, skills-based hiring, that are taking the opportunity to redesign their process based on how do you discover potential and do it in a fair way that's multifaceted in, in terms of the way it picks up uh, data and pictures uh, of people. And, and we've got a great opportunity to, to address the skills crisis by, by turning our recruitment process upside down and designing it for what it's intended to, to, to deliver as an output, as opposed to what it has done in the past. It's no longer fit for purpose. Yep, very good. Um, okay, Christine, go to you. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think want to ha you, want, you want to see happen? Yeah, I think a lot of things that we discussed here is mainly focused on like high volume recruitment. So I was kind of really more thinking about it from my perspective because we, you know, apart from that one role, we barely we could get much application. So it's quite scary for me to have to think about, yeah, if there is a high, um, there's a role we get high volume recruitment, what would that mean? But I think Robert touched on it essentially. Um, I think it's really having policies in place in the process. Um, and secondly, I think when you're redefining it, because I was also thinking it from a lot of tech recruitment roles, we use things like Codility and a lot of like HackerRank. Um, so we use a lot of tech 
based recruitment platforms. And even then, it's right for people to go on um, GitHub and look at you know uh, reviews online. So what can we do as a company to actually enable and block that um, moving forward? So in my last role, for example, we actually kind of do more live coding sessions rather than sending them a tech test. And that works for low volume roles, you see. So I think that's why I'm kind of learning a lot here as well. Like if I am in that position where we are getting 50,000 applications, then yeah, that's probably where the policies come in and having to rethink that process. But I think ultimately you still need a human eyes on that. As we're seeing, um, if people are writing uh, CVs and cover letters using GI generative AI, the reality is you still need a human being on the other side to read. Um, applications and filtering. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's that's a, that's a factor also. You know, like the oh. the, the reintroduction of face to face interviews, for instance. Um, yeah. Antonio, go to you. The two questions there. Um, what do you think will happen next twelve months when it comes to assessments? And what do you think? What, what, what would you ideally like to see happen? Um, I think they're entwined for me. I think it's because it's happening. I think it's going to be talent benchmarking. I use your retention strategies a lot more than you already are to to map your internal talent as your benchmark. Um, and then it's going to be candidate focus. So things like CV wallet. So essentially the candidate will take charge of their own data. It will be validated through blockchain and so forth. And recruiters will be going to these massive data banks to get candidates. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be worrying about generative AI, and AI in the way we are now when that happens. Yeah, very, very good. Um, okay, Basco, to you, the two questions, mate. Um, I think what will happen is that we're going to use a lot more checking tools and trying to to check if people are using it, uh, which introduce a lot of new bias, uh, because most of those tools seem to be biased against people whose uh, language, uh, which is checked is their second language, um, because apparently ChatGPT writes as a non-native. Um, so uh, I think that's going to happen, which is the dark side, uh, um, which I hope is going to happen is actually what, what Antonia said, is that people can upload their data, which they get from Robert or any of his competitors to a certain thing, and then with a blockchain, prove skills and qualities. And um, if we're going to do assessments, I remember a great article in Brain Food a while ago from Boston Consulting Group that the one thing ChatGPT couldn't solve was actual business cases, and it failed at the, all of them. So if you if you're going to do assessments, then uh, do, do the ones that we actually from science know work. <laughs> but but we've been too lazy to develop. So what I hope will happen is that we're actually going to spend some time in actually checking assessments and skills and 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 uh, what do we need to measure and how can we actually measure this correctly instead of proxies. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Bill, uh, your thoughts those two questions, sir. Uh, there were nine billion uh, CVs applicant applications. Uh, they went through commercial parsers last year. Um, so with uh, with ChatGPT, I don't see any reason why that won't double to uh, to 18 billion. Uh, and so I think we're so I think two things happen. So I think assessments become considerably more important. So if everyone can craft a perfect CV, a perfect cover letter, and a perfect set of answers to interview questions, I think we need another. Uh, I, I think assessments become more important. Uh, but I think we need a better way to kind of screen pre-assessment uh, because I don't think uh, that scales as well either. So I'm bullish on assessments. I think they become more important, um, but uh, but I, I do think we're going to need more automation in the process to uh, to uh, employ those assessments intelligently and in a way that's commercially viable <laughs> for the 
burgers. Fantastic stuff. Okay, guys, I'm going to have to let the panelists go. We're going to bring Becky on to, to give her final view on it. Uh, so thank you very much, Robert Nuri. Thank, thank you, Antonia Manucheri. Thank, thank you, Bas van der Hattard. And thank you, uh, Bill Fisher, for joining. What a wonderful conversation. Um, I think we need to do a round two on it. We're definitely going to do it if the panelists are up for it um, because there's so much more to say on this. Um, uh, let's uh, say goodbye to all these folks. Uh, Christine, you all right? Hanging on uh, yeah, for a little while? Yeah, I'm just thinking, it's just mad to think what the future talent stack will look like. Like, it's already kind of end-to-end from sourcing and product branding, et cetera. In the future, you're saying there's going to be more tools on the pre-screening phase. Um, yeah, how many, how many more can we add? I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think there will be. I think for small scale, you you want to just get in, in person. So I think you're back in the office, I'm afraid, Christine. Um, so hard, hard cheese for you. Uh, so this has an impact on remote, by the way. Um, because I think if you're a small-scale company, you're not going to load up on all these tools, but you're just going to say, right, we're going to go direct to in-person interview, yeah. um, uh, and, and you know, you, you're know you going to go back on premise. Um, but when we're talking mega scale, which I think Becky is the example, and just looking at her chat, she's got policy, she definitely is cheating. So I want to hear about this, yeah, um, uh, uh, because it, it may well be that if you're hiring at scale, and by the way, a lot of people are saying, oh, you hire for potential, which is code mm. for hiring for young, right? Um, so um, that means, okay, we might suddenly be refocusing on a bunch of people that don't really have a lot of evidence of their skills or experience. You are indeed hiring for really ephemeral, not ephemeral, but in, in hard, uh, intangible type of criteria. Um, how are you meant to deal with that? Um, oh, there she is. Hi. Sorry, always, everyone. Always. What's I'm been always going late. on, Becky? One second, oh, right? No. I just need to sort myself out again. Though. Having some problems with technology here because uh, for some reason only my phone works. Are you on your phone now? This is yeah. such poor form. Yeah. yeah, can you see me? We can sort of see half half your head. Wonderful. Great great to see you, Becky. Um for the folks who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Yeah, so I'm head of student recruitment um, at um, EY. So that's um, Ernst and Young. Um, if you don't know who EY are, but uh, we're one of the um, UK, well, one of the world's actually largest high volume graduate and um, work experience um, um, recruiters um, in the world. So, so it's massive um, in the UK, um, and I. We're responsible for over 70,000 applications per annum and about two and a half thousand hires. So ChatGBT or generative AI um, is a huge problem for us. And we are very advanced, I would say, in our adoption um, of this technology and how we are designing a detection, det um, deterrence and also designing a new assessment um, process. And it's really interesting listening to everybody um, earlier because I think um, the subject is, is obviously quite um, divisive and there's lots of opinions around, you know, whether philosophically is using um, generative AI cheating um, is it cheating or is it is it actually sharing? Is it um, being curious? Is it having a growth mindset? Um, you know, let's just be clear that ChatGPT does have a policy and um, on um, the use of um, its own AI, and it does not um, it does not um, endorse um, cheating, academic dishonesty, 
um, and also plagiarism. You know, so there, there's already a, I guess, a, a principle in place. Um, and EY yeah. are definitely um, adopting um, the line that um, integrity is, is, is basically sacrosanct. You know, we're a professional services company. Um, we, we effectively um, review large corporates, the FTSE 100, you know, um, um, organisations across um, the world, um, top fortune companies. And, you know, we have to ensure the integrity of balance sheets. We cannot hire people um, that are potentially cheating in our process. And, you know, just to be clear that we have seen direct cheating. There are 24 key threats and vulnerabilities in our process right now, end to end. And we have clear examples of where we have seen cheating and effectively, you know, we've had to rebuild our whole uh, um, assessment process in six months mm -hmm. with the view of going back to recruitment vintage because mm -hmm. the technology and assessment providers, and I'm going to be very controversial right now, are not equipped to lead on this agenda with a, an effective solution that effectively allows organisations to um, to ensure integrity of the candidate. So, you know, th there's a point here that young people now are really embracing technology and that's fantastic. You know, it, it's, it's technology is ubiquitous. Gen Zs are very used to working in this hybrid um, digital world. Um, but what we're seeing is that dehumanisation, right? So we're seeing in our process um, as grads come in, all of a sudden, they're avatars, right? You know, we've seen that. I love an avatar. I'm really pro avatars. Individuals are turning up at meetings as avatars. Um, you know, there's a digital identity um, that is being embraced um, across um, the world. But it, it also exposes vulnerabilities around the process and whether those individuals are actually humans entering your recruitment process or actually are they digital um, in, individuals. So, and I can give you some very good examples of this. We've seen fake applications. Um, we've seen faking um, qualifications. There's been whistleblowing cases where um, we've had um, candidates that um, that have come through our process have directly um, provided us with evidence of cheating um, and um, in our process. We've also had professional snooping. Um, you know, in our process. So as we opened um, in the first two weeks, we saw 66 imposters in wow. our process. Um, and effectively, they are not um, candidates, um, or they may be candidates that are um, fictitious candidates, or perhaps, um, um, you know, um, what we're calling migration agents. So there's lots of, um, you know, examples now you know bearing in mind that we have 70,000 applications I don't want to kind of suggest that everybody's cheating but there is a high degree of evidence to suggest that it's um with chat GBT it's now easier to cheat yeah, okay yeah. so yeah. that's the issue that we're dealing with it, it, cheating has been around since um well high volume recruitment's been around since the I think it's the Tang dynasty um, the Chinese um, civil service were trying to, um, they had high volume recruitment, um, you know, students had to use, um, learn Confucius, all of this, this cheating happened back then, you know, it's always happened. But what's happening now is that it, it's easier to cheat. 
Wow, Becky. For some reason, I just I couldn't I couldn't hear all this without imagining you as the future Home Secretary of the UK. Anybody else? Did, did anybody else get that vibe? Um, no. Um, no. Listen, Becky. I really appreciate. Yeah. Christine, you can say something. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, I really empathize with that. Like, you know, you're already dealing with high volume recruitment. You're trying to find the best candidates. On top of that, you're having to deal with all these different challenges, imposter candidates. Are they real candidates? Are they digital avatars? Is it even the real self? Like, there's so many different elements there. I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, exactly. Yeah. And vintage, recruitment vintage is back. You know, we've gone back to in-person assessment centers. Um, so as I said, there's vulnerabilities. We, we've done a vulnerability threat analysis across our whole process. And what we've done is that we are bringing in new technology to detect AI. Um, you know, the, we're also embracing um, different ways um, to um, disable um, any sort of copying and pasting. We're doing ID checking, for example. Um, so we're, we're basically strengthening how we process candidates. Um, as mentioned in the chat, we've got our chief people officer with a cheating video that we run as soon as a candidate applies, um, which is really making it clear our view on AI. Um, and also um, we run that again in the assessment centre as well. I mean, I was at an assessment centre a week ago and a candidate I, I spotted trying to cheat, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, we're just making it clear. I mean, it's, it's very, it's a very, um, I guess, a it's, it's a challenging picture out there because if you look at the universities, um, many universities are adopting a, a very similar um, position to EY. Um, you know, they're seeing it as a, a breach um, of code of practice, but also um, universities are asking students to embrace um, AI as well. And, and, and we're suggesting that 90% of students by um, this year will have embraced um, AI. Um, so, you know, it is, it is going to to um, explode, I'd say. And I'd also say that we're going to receive an explosion in applications, right? Because for me, AI is, is a really great opportunity. So imagine a world where, you know, Becky Foden, I want I want a, a job, I don't know, an AI tool to find me 100 jobs around the world, right? 25% will be my job like I'm doing now. 25%, you know, think outside of the box, look at the, look at my preferences, look at my lifestyle, look at what I like on, you know, on social media, go and find me those. 25% um, in a different country, yeah? Another 25% could be stretch roles. I mean, if AI can be used in that way, you know, that, I think that's probably where it's going to go. It's, it's exciting, isn't it? But the impact to organisations will be higher cost, um, it's, it's going to increase our processing costs, um, we have higher renege rates, higher decline rates um so you know we have to get on top of this right becky i need to um uh, sort of nail down a few points here uh, firstly what is prohibited um in the ey policy um any use of ai at all like what what is what is definitely not allowed no use of ai at all not in a, an application. Um, so we, we, so the, how we did do this, by the way, is we dismantled things that are AI abhor. You know, so for example, at, well, the good news is niche application forms niche on, questions, right? application questions. Don't even just forget it because you just put it in AI, right? So it's an opportunity there to get rid of your those old application questions that the managers like. You know, please ask this candidate. You know, la di da. Get rid of that. So AI has enabled us to finally get rid of some of these clunky, um, not candidate friendly processes. So um, 
So we've 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 kind of um, we also prohibit things like um, um, we have questions that are kind of more yes and no, right? There's no point in asking a question anymore because you can just put in AI. So unless it's a killer question, remove it. So I think the AI's allowed us right. to to be better on kind of that. Quick one. Uh, so it's actually quite interesting. So closed questions are actually more prioritized to open ones because open ones are more vulnerable to AI because mm -hmm. open questions previously would like to see how the person was thinking and all this, you know, what we don't know what he's thinking because he's going to pipe it into the system and the, the system will produce an output. Uh, all I know is a copy paste, whereas I want yes, no's. Um, so yes, going to the closed questions, mm -hmm. prioritizing those, deprioritizing open. That's something we've learned today. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, so, okay. Um, this, so the in-person aspect um, means that the video interview, where is that in the EY? Pro is that is that out of the picture now or like well, so, how does it work? So video interviews, um, what we've done there, so as I mentioned, we've looked at every aspect, right? So with video interviews, we still have them, but we have ID checking. So is facial recognition coming in? Of course it has to, but there isn't an offer at the moment, okay? Um, so video interviews, we... We have um, strengthened our um, Brit um, written language and English scoring criteria, for example. Um, so, and also we use picture format, so you can't copy and paste questions. Um, so there's things that you can do that will prevent candidates from putting um, those um, questions in AI. So that's where we are right now. So there's certain things right, right. that we've done. So so hang on. So where video interview actually seems to be some assessment based stuff. So the, the, there's mm -hmm. uh, when you say questions, I presume these are uh, sort of on screen questions candidate would read. Um, but these are now put into uh, uh, images so you can't copy paste easily and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Um, OK, very, very interesting. Um, right. Um, in, in terms of the outcomes of all of this, um, uh, where uh, is it too early to say where you're at with things, um, uh, Becky? Because you mentioned that this is this is ongoing. It's been a six month project to do the re-engineering. So presumably you're still kind of in the early phases of the new process. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you get a handle now as to, for instance, what the resourcing costs are for the new pro the new old process recruitment vintage? Um, yeah, it costs a lot. So we were so so. This is going to cost us, if if I'm being honest, um, a significant budget. Right? We had to we had to move back to in person assessment centres for sixty five percent of our programmes. Um, so you know that that's um, nineteen assessment centres in person before Christmas, and these um, you know, and and that is around making sure that we're strengthening the opportunity to to assess people and based on their potential so so from robert's point earlier we it's also allowed us just to really assess on potential okay um it will only take a, a few more I, I guess less than a year potentially for candidates to fundamentally just pass the numeracy test um you know through ai right that's coming so you know, at the moment we've we've stress tested our process. You cannot pass the process using AI. Okay, I'm on about the online process, but it will only be a specific period of time where that will be. You know that 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 could change, and that's around having. So, for example, keeping timers on is important. If you have your timers off, um, you know, if you have a cognitive test, then it it is cheatable. 
Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, a very quick one on this. What This is the same question I asked the other people on the panel, uh, Becky. Um, what do you think is going to happen to assessments in the next 12 months? And what do you want to see happen? So, so apparently in Silicon Valley, um, there is an arms race happening right now. It's the greatest new explosion in tech investment. Which company is going to come out um, as the number one AI um, detection, cheating, um, plagiarism, you know, um, like um, platform, um, assessment platform, right? Um, that there's huge, um, there's a lot of investment and interest in this area. And as I said, that there doesn't seem to be technology offering. So I think that we'll see more adoption of AI detection technologies. Um, companies will have to do it. Um, we are also looking at anti-plagiarism detection technology right now and bringing a, 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 a vendor in. I think that we'll see more and more students um, embracing AI. I think we'll see more applications. I think we're going to have to get used um, to thinking more holistically about the, the candidate um, around potential. And I think that we will have to stay vintage, which is in person. We will go back fully probably into an in-person assessment approach um, for FY. 25 most likely because the technology is not there yet there it is folks um it's um i think a really interesting verdict and by the way i do think that this will uh, in a strange way shove us back in office um because um it, it we've gone full circle um technology digitization etc moved us out of the office but suddenly it's become such a degree that we can no longer trust information that is purely digitally transmitted that's going to pull us back in on premise um so our remote golden era i think is coming to a close um okay becky Foden, thank you so much for joining i know you've got busy things to do where's uh, where's where you're driving the porsche later uh, my dear i do not um, have a porsche i have the oldest car going i should have a cool car but i don't i don't do that at all i don't know where you get that from hung you're always flying off all over the world um i'm just that, at that home must, that, <laughs> that must be a that must be a different becky Foden then um, okay uh, we, we'll say goodbye to becky um that's it great to see you by the way we'll catch up soon okay thank okay, you very take care please. bye thank you Cool, cool. That was wow. That's it, guys. We're well, we're well, we're well over uh, time. So thank you very much for spending time. There's, so there's so much to talk about in this particular topic. Unless you're taking notes as we're going along, the blockchain element I, as well. Like I didn't even think. What about. what I need to do is actually take the transcription on this and put it through through a note taker and then come up with bullet points um because i think there was so much to, to to digest on that folks i hope you've enjoyed it if you have let me know in the comments below um we're going to be back next week uh, on friday we're going to be talking about something i want everyone to sign up to um it is about menopause in the workplace do you have a menopause policy yes no uh, 70 percent of the three thousand people polled said no they didn't um well guess what a menopause is a very natural part of someone's life and it could be if you have a significant component of women in your workforce, could be 50 or more percent of your employees might actually be going through this. Do you know anything about this? Answers no. Um, you probably should. Um, so please do sign up to that. Um, follow the channel if you're interested in this type of conversation. Um, we'll be back next week. And the, the, that notification will be there as well. All right. That's it. Um, I'll let you go. See you later, uh, everybody. Um, I'll see you Friday. It's an amazing topic, menopause. menopause. There's actually, yeah. I was reading 
talked this the other week about perimenopause, which is the step before menopause. So there's actually significantly a lot more women in that peri stage where they're not even sure if they've hit it yet. Do you know what? I actually, I was edu- I've been educated on this. Um, so so I, this, 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 sh- the menopause show has been in, in prepping for a little while since. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and basically, um, yeah, it turns out a lot of, a lot of women actually didn't know themselves. Like they're not educated. Men are definitely not educated. Let's, 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 let's leave that to one side. That's, that's plainly obvious. But I was surprised that actually women were not educated either. Um, and they were like reaching for information and support and there just simply isn't a lot of it uh, yeah. and definitely employers. So yeah, Mad. lots to talk about. No, 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 but anyway, great panelists today. Seriously, we, we wish we had more time. Um, no, I know this, this should be a Joe Rogan length, but we've got stuff to do. Uh, what's happening for you later on today? Oh, you got Actually, a wedding I've got, or a, I've got a demo timesheets for my CFO on Personio. Have you really? <laughs> all right right no worries i'll see when you when are you back in the uk i'm back on sunday i'm back on sunday night so i'll give you a holler we'll hang out with uh, oh i'm about to hang out with raul as well sometime next week so let's get something in. all right yeah by the way hong kong for me december ain't happening by the way um, it's happening no it ain't it's not um, okay are you definitely going still yeah i think i'm going i'm flying on the 10th yeah yeah not happening i'm it's probably mid-gen for now so right. well, ships in the night i'll yep. see you at the founding sichuan club dinner anyway Yep, we'll do. I'll see you then. Safe flight. Enjoy the rest of the day, okay?